Good morning, Door Creek. It's really good to be together. If you're a guest here today, my name's Mark, one of the pastors. And we're working through Paul's letter to uh, the Corinthians. Before we get into that, let me just say I had a chance to meet Robert in Liberia and see what Vision Trust is doing with these schools. Salem hadn't started yet, but it's doing awesome work. And I'll never forget the, the, the children there who were being fed, who were receiving um, some vitamins and things to help with their health, that were in classrooms, that were receiving a good education, and also by Christian teachers who were teaching them about the Bible and about Jesus. Very holistic, beautiful, serving families in the community. That's part of who we are as a church and our great privilege. And so I look forward to together us um, giving a large, generous Advent conspiracy offering for places like Salem School in Monrovia and our partnerships here in, um, in the States and then locally right here in our backyard. It's really important. We talk about a contagious generosity where we're excelling in what the Bible calls this grace of giving, and thanks for being part of that. So um, you probably heard the name Clarence Darrow. If you haven't heard of Clarence Darrow, you've probably heard of the Scopes trial. The trial's back in 1925 surrounding the teaching of evolution. I think it was in the state of Tennessee. Anyways, Clarence Darrow talks about an earlier trial in his life. When he was just this young lawyer, he's in this rural town, and um, it's a really fun story. He talks about just the jury selection and kind of looking over the jury and concluding maybe not the sharpest jurors that he's ever dealt with before, but his job would be to figure out, you know, if local customs were right, kind of the the sharper, more intelligent person would be the leader of this band of jurors. And so he identifies who he thinks would be that person. And as he's making his case and presenting his arguments, he is just focused in on this guy, trying to win him over, right? So they deliberate, they come back, and he is just feeling really satisfied that he picked the right guy. So the judge asked the question, have you reached a decision? And he says, your honor, we have not reached a decision. In fact, there are two words that were used throughout the trial that we need further clarification on. Well, what are those two words? Think of this is gonna be really tricky. He says, the first word was plaintiff and the second word was defendant. <laughs> you know what, this is the first service that's gotten it, all right. This is the smart service, or, or the, I mean, I'm working it hard last night going, that was funny. I love this service. So those two words, um, you know, you don't know who's who in a, in a trial. You got problems, you know, administrating justice. So for the church in Corinth, and for many of us today, the two words are not plaintiff and defendant, but spiritual gifts. Like, do you actually know as a Christ follower that God through his spirit has given you unique abilities called spiritual gifts. Do you actually know what your gifts are? Do you know how they're to be used? Do you know why he's given you those? Do, do, you, do you know what will help you use those in a really constructive way and, and actually in a way that is not constructive? Do you know what you're supposed to do with these? Are they, are they, are they trophies to display? Are they tools to use? This is really, really important. 
And he's going to lean into this. In fact, it's so important that he's going to spend all of chapter 12, chapter 13, which we call the love chapter, which has secondary application to marriage, but has nothing to do with marriage in the context, has everything to do with using these gifts in love like they weren't and like we sometimes forget, like a lot of times forget, and then back to it in chapter 14. So it's this huge section. So grab your Bible, and we're in chapter 12, and let's just remember where we came out of. So last week, chapter 11, we were reminded that we are to do everything we can as we gather together as a church to not distract people from having a clear focus on Christ. And that if we are to bring glory to Christ, it's because not only are we removing the distractions, but we're always aiming at seeking the good of our brothers and sisters before ourselves. And so remember the haves, the rich, were trashing and humiliating the poor as they met earlier, however they did it, and they had their little pre-gathering where they actually got drunk as they made their way to the worship service downstairs or whatever room it was in the house. All right, so we get into 1 Corinthians 12. It's, it's kind of an involved chapter. So here's how it's gonna break out. In, in verses one through three, before he gets into gifts, He's going to wrestle with this whole thing about what is the measure of true spirituality. So even in your mind, when you think about a spiritual person, on what basis do you give that person that kind of a title? What makes a person spiritual? They're losing their way relative to certain gifts to get them to thinking, ah, this is what true spirituality. So he levels the ground there. Then he starts talking about the nature of the church. And he's going to begin to use this metaphor of the body, that the church is the body of Christ. It's one made up of different parts, just like my body and your body. He's going to talk about the nature of the church, how it's one and the same as it flows out of our relationship with God, but it shows up in all these different gifts and ministries and results. And then what he's going to do is he's going to, he's going to remind us of some really dangerous conclusions that we could take relative to these gifts. So one is, I don't think I got any, or what I have is just not that important. So this inferiority complex that works against our understanding of the diversity of the body, which is beautiful. And the other is the superiority complex that goes, I don't need anybody else. And these Things were at the heart of dividing this church up over gifts, and it was making the church ineffective in what the gifts in the church is all about, and that is helping us grow to be more like Christ so that we can become the, the arms and hands and feet of Christ in this world, continuing his work in the world. So that's where we're going. So one through three gets to this whole matter of true spirituality. Now about the gifts of the Spirit. Brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed, ignorant. You know that when you were pagan, somehow or other, you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. Therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. So they were pagans. They worshiped idols. Their life at that point was a life of ignorance. He says, you're not to be ignorant. You're not to be uninformed. You're not to be unaware about these two words, spiritual 
gifts. And the first thing he says is, I don't want you to have this kind of thinking whereby you say, well, if somebody has this kind of a gift and it's an easy case to make when you read through 12 through 14 that the church in Corinth is fascinated with one particular gift that actually had some correspondence in pagan idolatry. And it's this gift of tongues or different kind of tongues where a person has a special ability given by the Spirit of God to speak a language that is unknown to them in praise and worship of God. And unless that gift is interpreted to the rest of the church, nobody gains anything from it, but you have this easy connection where you go, whoa, I can't do that. Whoa, I've never seen that. That has got to be like up another level of spirituality. Or maybe it was like those who had the gift of healing or those who had the gift of miracles. And you're going, whoa, I can't do that. So I must have like this really beginner novice thing. And maybe I need to get up. So And when I get up and get this gift, then, then I'm going to really be I'm going to really be spiritual. And so they're confusing the supernatural gifts with spirituality. And Paul says, no, 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 wait a minute. At the, at the heart of it, what makes a person spiritual is that we have a relationship with Christ that is marked by this confession of faith that Jesus Christ, not Caesar. So this isn't ringing in our ear, Christ is Lord. This rang in their ears. Because in their day, it would be Caesar is Lord. He's the emperor. He is king. Well, we don't use that. that. That just doesn't ring true at all. But this whole confession of Christ is Lord then is not just words that we speak, but it's, it's measured out then in a life that we live so that everything in my life, everything I have, everything I do comes under Christ's leadership in my life. He's not a category in a Christian's life. He is king over everything of a Christ follower's life. That is the essence of true spirituality. Don't get caught up on some supernatural thing. By the way, there is all this ecstatic utterance going on in Corinth, we're told by historians, around the pagan idolatrous worship. And so there's a great quote I wanna share with you that comes out of uh, Gordon Fee's, and he gets right to this issue. The presence of the spirit in power and gifts makes it easy for God's people to think of the power and gifts as the real evidence of the Spirit's presence. Not so for Paul. The ultimate criterion of the Spirit's activity is the exaltation of Jesus as Lord in our words, in our actions, everything submitted to Christ. All right, I don't usually make you do this, and you may not wanna do this, but I encourage you to take some notes today. So grab your yellow piece of paper and a pen or pencil, because this is an area that a lot of us don't know the Bible's teaching. I want to share five or six key principles that will guide us to be more aware about the spiritual gifts. So the first one's a duh. We've already gone over it. We're not to be ignorant, principle number one, about spiritual things, about these gifts, okay? We're not to be ignorant. That's not to mark our lives as Christ followers. We, we need to understand what they are, we need to understand what ours are and to use them in God-honoring ways. All right, so now he gets into the nature of the church, verses four through six. And what he's gonna say here is the church is one 
but it's made up of different parts. It's the same, but it's different. And hear those words. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit, the Holy Spirit, distributes them. There are different kinds of services, of ministries, places to use those gifts, but the same Lord. That's a reference to Jesus Christ. There are different kinds of workings or effects or results, but in all of them and in every one, it is the same God at work. So it's easy for this to happen. If you go, there's a hierarchy within these gifts that are given to God's people. It's easy to think, well, that kind of person in the church must be more important. That kind of person must be more spiritual. And if that's true, we're all trying to be more spiritual, right? And then it's easy for us to start thinking that actually our unity will best be reflected by all of us achieving this great place of spirituality that we've conjured up in our mind so that it's in uniformity where we all talk the same, we have the same gifts, we look the same, we may dress the same, we act the same, and we go, that's the essence of unity, uniformity. Actually play it out. Have you ever been around a group where they dress the same and they talk the same and they think the same and they, have, have you ever been around that? If you have, you know what we usually call that group of people? There you go. This is the smart service. <laughs> a cult. It's a cult. And it's easy because differences typically divide. The things that are different typically separate us. So it seems intuitive to say unity would be best reflected in uniformity, in likeness. And it's not how it is in anything that God has brought up into this world. The things that are beautiful, if you think about that God has allowed us to experience are variegated. There's variety, there's diversity. And so don't have that thinking, he's saying. It's one church, but it's got all these things that are different. So we have different gifts. We're gonna look at those in verses eight through 10, 28 through 30. Different ministries where we'll use those gifts and different results. So those of us um, who have uh, played an instrument. Anybody played an instrument? You were in orchestra? You were in band? All right? So remember when you first got the instrument? It was painful. Yeah, especially for our parents. It was painful. So I was a horn player. Man, I made some wild sounds, you know. But after time, right, we could, we could sustain a note, and then we began to read notes, and we could play a line of music, and we, could, we got so good that we could play a line of music when someone next to us was playing a different line of music, and then we could play not only within our section, but then there were people that were playing different instruments, and as we got better and better, all these different sounds and all these different instruments playing different notes at the same time under the conductor's direction made one beautiful sound. It was beautiful, right? And people play, pay lots of money to hear a professional orchestra play beautiful music. We get it. We get that in the sports arena. We get how it works out in our workplaces. You go to a movie and watch the credits and you go, oh my word, I thought it was just like two leading actors. And you go, there's like been like five minutes of credits of all these people that it took to get this one thing produced, this film. So we get that out in the world in so many places, but we don't always get it here. And Paul says, we need to get it here. 
And so the principle number two is the church's unity is seen, it's reflected, it's strengthened by diversity, not by our uniformity. And let me just say, if that's true about our gifts, it's true about the people in a church, and if it's true about the church, that ought to change how we think about the world. And some of the things and rhetoric that's going on even today in our world regarding people in our world is, is losing this whole thing. And I know there's a whole, there's a complexity of issues around it. But we, we need to celebrate that, that, that God's unity is reflected. The unity of humanity is reflected in diversity. That's a beautiful thing. We get scared of differences. We divide up over differences. We need to see the beauty of God's intent of making things one that are actually very diverse. And it starts right here in the church. And so he goes on by challenging us to not get trapped in this dangerous thinking that unity is brought about by uniformity. And he reminds us of the danger that because there's differences, it's gonna be easy for us to divide even around things that are gifts. So let me give you an example. So there's a gift called the gift of mercy. This is the person that has this spirit-given ability to understand and sense a very sensitive heart to know when people are hurting. Man, you're like a magnet you to those people, those people to you. Maybe God in his grace, and it's been a hard thing, has allowed you to, to experience a lot of heart in your life. But your antenna, it's just up. And not only are you sensitive to it, but you enter into their lives. And you don't want to just, you know, you understand that this whole mercy thing is not like God gave you a, a pillbox and he said, and so when you find that person who's in great misery that needs a, a lot of encouragement and hope and all that's hard, that you just give them a couple of these pills and tell them to call you in a week and, and if it's not better, we'll come back. And, and you know that, man, this isn't about a pill. This isn't a quick fix. And you dive in and it's messy and you're giving of yourself and all of a sudden you wake up one day and you go, man, this is hard. And like, am I the only person at Door Creek that cares about people that are hurting? Because I feel like I'm the only one doing it. And so what happens is we can project that what we are gifted to do. Now, here's the thing that we got to really remember, and it would be a great example. We may not have the gift of mercy, which gives us an accelerated ability to bring comfort to people in misery, but we are all called to be merciful. We all have family responsibility. So none of us can say, well, you know what? I don't do windows because I don't have that gift. Gift is never an excuse for service. Gift focuses us. But man, I mean, one of the things I like to say, so what gift was Jesus using when he washed his disciples' smelly feet? And there's a lot of things that need to be done in a family, in God's family, that don't require a particular gift. And the bottom line is, with the gifts, we also have reminders of, hey, I'm supposed to be like that. I'm supposed to be growing as a, I mean, I have the gift of wisdom, but I should be growing in my understanding of God's word, so I'm growing to be wiser. I should be a person who, I may not have the gift of encouragement. I should be growing as a Christian who could encourage people that know or don't know Christ, Right? 
So it's easy for our differences to divide. And the person with the mercy gift who goes, am I the only one? Hello, what's wrong with this picture? For, For us actually to get embittered because we've lost our understanding of we don't all have the same gifts. And people may be using gifts that we're not even aware of to meet needs that we're not even aware of, even though we're doing it in this particular area. Make sense? All right. So verse seven, he gets into the purpose. It's really easy. It's not a mystery here. Verse seven, now to each one, the manifestation of the spirit. So this is his way of, this is his language for a spiritual gift. It's the, it's the manifestation. It's the showing of the spirit in our life. It's the display of the spirit. That this gift is given for the what? What's the phrase? Common good. Not for my good. The good of the community. Seek the good of others before yourself. This gift has been given to us, but it truly only is a gift when we share it with others so they actually become more like Christ. So the temptation will be to treat the gifts as a trophy, and we go, that's what God, it's so, come here. Let me show you what's up on my mantle. And I, and I show you this gift. And we display the gift and not use the gift. These are tools to be used to build things. What? To build people individually, the church collectively, to be more and more like Christ. Stronger, more mature, thinking more like Christ, behaving more like Christ. Better positioned individually, collectively to do Christ's work in this world. It's a tool, not a trophy. And we know that because of its purpose. It's for the common good. Then he goes into the lists. To one there is given through the Spirit a message, literally a word of wisdom. It's not a gift until the wisdom is shared in that word. To another, a message of knowledge by means of the same spirit. To another, faith by the same spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. Sometimes we call it discernment. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And still to another, the interpretation of those tongues. All these are the work of one and the same spirit and he distributes them to each one just as he determines. So there's four lists of gifts in the scriptures. Take notes, 1 Corinthians 11. Eight through 10 is one and then 28 through 30 is a second list. There's another list in Romans 12, six through eight. There's another list in Ephesians 4, 11. None of the lists are the same. Some gifts show up many times, others only once. No single gift in all lists, 13 of them only once. And so most scholars believe Paul's giving us a a sample list, not the complete encyclopedia from A to Z of all. It's not the exhaustive list. It's a sampling, all right? And then when he gives us the gift, sometimes literally all we have is like one word, So um, you'll notice on the back of your yellow sheet, you got it? Uh, I've listed out many of the gifts that we're going to run across today in 1 Corinthians 12. So um, these are my working definitions. Remember what I just said. Sometimes all we have is one word. 
And we're trying to unpack that in the scriptures. So one of the things I'm really excited for you to do in your life groups this week is actually help each other get to know what your gifts are. The best way for you to get to know your gifts is actually doing life together in community, serving in community. So actually other people can go, hey, you know what? I I actually think you've got this faith gift, this spirit-given ability to see what God wants done and to believe he will accomplish his will even if it looks impossible. Because, man, we get in these situations and we come to prayer and your prayers and, and the words that you have that are rooted in a big God, man, I see that. And a lot of us have no clue what our gifts are. And this is the easiest way to move into an understanding is just start saying yes to community, life together. Saying yes to places of service that may or may not be in your wheelhouse, but you're just gonna try and and then listen what people say. Man, I really appreciate how you're always here early helping out. Oh, did he say help? Did she say help? Helping out. Oh, man, I love, you know what? I just gotta tell you, you are so encouraging. Oh, I got the gift of encouragement. Man, thanks for caring about people. Oh, maybe I got that gift of shepherding. Man, I love how you never drop the ball and you've got a handle on all the pieces. Man, your organizational abilities just help us keep getting after it here in this ministry. Oh, maybe I've got the gift of administration. Man, thanks for taking this hard subject and making it just simple for me to understand and know how to, ah, oh, maybe I got the gift of, of teaching, all right? So he goes through it. He's made it clear. He's repeated We get these gifts through the Spirit five times. Four of them through verse 10 and again in verse 11. And so we see these principles. We receive our spiritual gifts from God through the Holy Spirit when we receive the Spirit. Actually, the Bible never says this. And you get your your spiritual gifts from the Holy Spirit at this point. All the Scripture is clear about is when we receive the Spirit. And it says this, it's very clear. In in Ephesians chapter one, we were included in Christ. Verse 13, when we heard the word of truth, the gospel, the good news of our salvation, having believed that word of truth, we were marked in Christ with a seal. The Holy Spirit, a deposit guaranteeing our future life with God. That's what he's talking about. So when the Spirit comes into a person's life through faith in Christ, we're forgiven of our sins, we're given new life in Christ, new power to live for him, and new gifts to do the unique thing that he's asking us to do to build up the body to reach the world. There's a fourth principle. Every Christian has at least one spiritual gift given by God's Spirit. Every Christian. No one can say, actually, I was in the line. I was in the gift line. He ran out. He was out. He told me to come back. No, every Christian has at least one spiritual gift. And five, each gift is to be used in love. That's going to be chapter 13, to build up, to edify the church. So I love when um, you go through the class, Discovering Your Design. Bev um, will go through some material that says, we want to help you understand your God-given shape. Rick Warren talks about our shape, our spiritual gifts our heart, the things that we're passionate about, our abilities, natural talents, that's the A, P, 
our personality, E, our experiences. And it's just like God, the God who made us and gave us our personality and gave us the gifts that all those things make up who we are and help us make a huge difference for Christ in this world. I love how Peter reduces the teaching on gifts down to two verses, so helpful. Verse 10 of chapter four, 1 Peter. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received. Did you notice? He didn't say each of you should display. He said use. It's a tool, right? Whatever gift you've received to serve others. It's for the common good. It's not for yourself, Mark. As faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. This is part of God's goodness, his grace given to us. We don't own it. We manage it. So when we talk about contagious generosity, we're managers, not owners, of our time, of our talents, of our, of our treasure, of our gifts, our spiritual gifts. We're stewards, he says, of God's manifold grace. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. I think what Peter's doing is saying, you could divide the gifts between serving gifts and speaking gifts. If you've got a speaking gift, teachings, a speaking gift, Words of wisdom, of knowledge, a speaking gift, encouragement, a speaking gift, right? All these, you got a speaking gift? Make sure that your words are so tied in to God's gracious, truthful words. Your ability to really strengthen someone through your speaking gift has everything to do with your words being tied to God's word. So you got a speaking gift? Oh man, I gotta really make sure I, I'm growing as a person who's understanding God's truth so that I can grace people through my words because they're always connected to God's word. Then he goes on to say, I think there's this serving area. If anyone serves, so helps, administration, leadership is a serving gift. There's many different serving gifts. Mercy, if anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides so that in all things, God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and power forever and ever. Amen. So don't serve in your own strength, in God's strength. All right, so now he, he gets to this body metaphor, verse 12. Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. So it is with Christ. Look down at verse 27. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. That's what he's saying here. So just as the body, though one, has many parts, all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ, with his body, with the church, with us. We're one in Christ, but we're different, different parts. For we all were baptized, that's how we're one, baptized, initiated into this family, in this relationship by one spirit, by the Holy Spirit, not referring to our water baptism, but the initiation through faith where the spirit now applies the work of Christ to my life, to my mind, my heart, gives me this new spiritual life. So as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentile, slave or free, we were all given the one spirit to drink, to participate in. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. That's the picture. So now he gets to the, to the problems that we can fall into, the inferiority problem. Look at verse 15. Now if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, that's the key phrase. I am not a, I'm not like that. I'm, I, I'm, thi I'm this, I'm not that. I, I, don't, I don't think that matters much. I've got this inferiority. Maybe because the superiority people are cramming it down my throat. Maybe because the tapes keep playing. They've been playing since I was a kid in my home and it keeps playing and now it's playing in my church family. I, 
Don't amount to much. I haven't measured up. I've been a dis- disappointment. I'm a loser. I feel like that, and I bring that to the church. I believe that tape. I believe that lie. And so he gets after it. He goes on. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, he would not for that reason stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. So we got the inferiority thing. And one of the things is this kind of, it, it's really attacking this whole thing about the diversity, that actually the, the, the body is made up of different parts. And when we say, I don't amount to much, we're, we're, here's what we're doing. We're working against the diversity, which has everything to do with the functionality of the body. I mean, just think of the ridiculous thought of if all we were was an ear, that you were just like a big ear. <laughs> that is so weird, and it's a little gross to think about. <laughs> the, the fact is, if we all had one gift, it would be as ridiculous as thinking that we could function any better than if we were just an ear. I mean, it, it's, it's crazy. So the body can't function without the diverse many parts. Right? And then he goes on to argue kind of almost this philosophical thing. And by the way, if you don't have the parts, you really don't have a body, not the body of Christ. We may lose a limb. We may lose a part, and we still have a body. But he's saying, actually, this is how it works for my body, that there is no body if there aren't parts. You don't have Christ's body, which has huge implications for people who say, I love Jesus, but I don't need the church. That's not what the Bible says. I actually do need the church. I do need it. Then he goes on to the superiority issue. Verse 21, the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. That's the dominant phrase. I don't need you. I'm good. I don't want to bother you. And the hand cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable, and the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. So the former group felt like outsiders, inferior These guys are the insiders. These are the haves. The haves in chapter 11 were the rich. The have-nots, the poor. The haves in chapter 12 are the people with these spectacular gifts as as assumed by the congregation. And the the have-nots are the people that have these kind of lower-class gifts, these kind of ordinary, everyday kinds of things. I don't need you characterizes the problem that's rooted in pride. And there isn't anything in our culture, there isn't anything in our nature that leads us to wake up each day to say, you know what, I I need other people in my life. That's just not how 
We may know that. We don't usually function. We usually go, I'm going to figure it out. Guys, we're like, we are at the head of the class of this. I'm just going to figure it out. I don't want to bother. What do you mean we don't want to bother? Well, we don't want to show that we actually do need other people in our life. And yet we know, especially us men, we know because we, we, we sense this disconnect and we long for connection with God and other men. Because actually that's how we were created. And so this I don't need you is rooted in a pride and it's working against, it's working against the unity of God's, Bible, of God's uh, word, his body. And, it, and it's, it's just, it's complete overlooking the fact that the things that we don't, aren't aware of are actually indispensable, he says. They're essential. So has anybody lost a body part that you didn't even know you had, and when you lost it, you found out, oh, it was like really important. Or you, you've had a thyroid thing, and you've maybe heard about it, but it's just this little thing, and you didn't know like, oh my word, when that thing goes crazy, that like affects, has that ever happened to you? So I, I, I got my first lesson in 89. I'm about to go on a mission trip to France with about 20 plus students and adults. And I was sick all of June. Oh man, I was sick. I just thought it was stress. I just thought maybe my colitis had kicked in. And uh, there's a couple times right before we're to leave, we're in the middle of the night, I wake up, I am so sick. I say to Lori, I think you gotta take me to the emergency room. And then like a minute later, it was gone. And I go, oh, false alarm, I'm good. I'm okay. Oh, that was weird. What was that? And then it happened a second night. And so she's talking to her friend Susan, whose husband Larry's on staff, and Susan is a doctor. And Susan says, Laura, you got to tell Mark to get to a doctor before he goes overseas. There is something wrong. So I go to the doc. And he starts poking around in my abdomen, and I'm embarrassed when all of a sudden what hurt everywhere really hurt on my lower right side. And you guys know what that is, right? Because this is a smart service. What is it? I knew it. All right, so appendix. So if, if you've never had this, let me give you a quick tip. It doesn't hurt so much when you're pressing it as when you let go. Then you know, okay, that's probably an appendix. So anyways, the guy says to me, look, we're going to run tests to confirm it tomorrow morning. If you got one of those spells again tonight, just come on in. Well, it happened. Lori brings me in. I meet a resident who does the examination, and he says, the one thing I can tell you is you don't have an appendix problem. I said, well, you know, buddy, I got a test in the morning and I don't feel like driving a half an hour home. I'm just going to stay here. The next time I saw that guy, I was on a gurney going into surgery. And he says, what happened? And I said with a smile, my appendix. So I come out of surgery two and a half, three hours later. So an appendectomy is supposed to be taking like 20 minutes. So the nurse comes out and says to Lori, Mrs. Myfair, you almost had your marital status changed. Like, are nurses, are you trained to say stuff like that? I, I... <laughs> so they went in, and, 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 and this little appendix, this is supposed to be as big as their little finger, was as big as an orange. They cut me wide open, 47 staples. And they pulled out not only an appendix, but three feet of intestines that had wrapped around it to, to actually protect my body from this further infection. And when they cut out a foot and a half on one side, large intestine, a foot and a half on the small intestine side, they took out one of those indispensable parts that I didn't know I had. It's this little valve. You'd be happy you still have your valve. 
my life is forever changed because that's an indispensable part. I didn't know I had it. I didn't know how to spell it. I'm still not sure if it's called the ilium valve. It's something like that. And you need it and you'd be glad you have it. He says that's how it is in the body. They're indispensable. And so you, you have this superiority because you're categorizing the gift and you've got this pseudo uh, uh, template of what is true spirituality and you don't understand. For you to live out your confession of faith and grow to be more like Christ in this world so that all that you're doing is, you need that part because you don't have that part. And you don't have that part. You are not gonna live out your profession of faith in me in this world. It's indispensable. And the things that are honored by men because the gifts are presentable and they're public and they see them like you're seeing me use a teaching gift right now. Listen, the Bible says this, that God gives greater honor. This is so cool. For those of you slugging it out in the trenches and you wonder, does anybody even know what I'm doing around here? God does greater honor. And because of that, he says, hey, Mark, everybody else, special honor, special honor to those things that are indispensable, so easy to overlook. How elevating is this? Our relationships together and the mutual concern where we enter into our sufferings, each other's sufferings, and we enter into our joys. And I can't wait to see you grow in your life groups, in your ministry teams, to do more of that and to identify. So what's keeping us from doing that? To actually having that kind of deep relationship. So he ends in verse 27 through 31 by listing out a few more gifts and leaving us with a charge to build up the body in love. Now you are the body of Christ. In case we haven't caught his teaching here, each one of you is a part of it. And God has placed in the church, first of all, apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, of helping, of guidance, of different kinds of tongues, And then he lists all these questions. This is cool about the Greek language, the original here. You can actually write a question that anticipates the answer. And the way it's constructed, it all expects the answer no. So I'm going to just add it in as we read it. Are all apostles? No. Are all prophets? No. We don't all have the gift of prophecy. Are all teachers? No, we don't all have the gift of teaching. Do all work miracles? No, we we don't work miracles. Do all have gifts of healing? No. Do all speak in tongues? No. Do all interpret those tongues? No. Now eagerly desire the greater gifts. And yet I will show you the most excellent way. The most excellent way is chapter 13, the way of love that they had lost. And the greater gifts are the gifts that do the greater gift, do the greater good, the gifts that edify. What did I say? I think they were fascinated, preoccupied with the one gift that I can identify in the whole New Testament that if it's not translated, cannot edify anyone beyond the person with the gift. That's why we encourage the private use of that gift at Door Creek. And so he says, go after the greater gifts because those are the gifts that build up the body that help us do the work of Christ in the world. So live out your profession as you identify your gifts and use them in love, developing them helping people to be more and more like Christ. Let's pray. Father God, we bless you for the beauty of your diverse, unified church. May we 
understand more and more that our unity is in you, our triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And may we celebrate and grow to appreciate more and more the beauty of your variegated grace displayed in the people who make up your one body. And open our eyes to what you've gifted us with and who we are as essential, unique members of your body. And keep us from pride of actually thinking and functioning like we don't need anybody here. Drive us deeper into our understanding of the church, that we might be your church that is not just your church here in this place, but out in the world. Until you come or call us home, we pray these things in Christ's name. God's people said, amen. Amen.